I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West! Things that we used to think smelled smelly, but now in 2022, we no longer have that opinion because we've now been enlightened to something, something else, something we haven't seen before. Now that you've you found the good way. I've seen the way. Now that you've the joined rings. the cult. So I've for, seen the air of my ways. Can I, can I just throw a quick peek behind the curtain in here Go for, for, it. for the listeners at home? So early-ish Sunday morning, I got a text in the group chat from the Mark Rob explaining that he he had seen the light. And I honestly, I didn't believe it. <laughs> you didn't believe and, it until you saw the letterbox And review. then I saw the letterbox review and I legitimately started tearing up. <laughs> I don't always listen to the episodes because I really hate the way my voice like sounds recorded. And I made some time to listen to the episode because I wanted to see if, first of all, as, as per usual, excellent job editing. Whenever I do listen, it's because I want to appreciate how talented my, my co-host and partner is. But I was really impressed. I was like, wow, I'm very smart and eloquent. Nice. <laughs> um, Hilarious. But like, I'm really happy to hear that something connected at least enough for you to kind of give it an earnest second try. Yeah. So what what clicked for you this time? Let's start so, with Two Towers before we get into Return of the King. Let's let's finish Two Towers. So I, I don't think I fully explained how I watched Two Towers to begin with. So I was going to watch it like that weekend before, mm. but I ended up getting into some shit. Not anything bad, but like shit like so just kind of came up and then I didn't see it. I didn't watch it Friday or Saturday or Sunday. So, like, I watched it. I watched it basically like I tried to watch it in the middle of a work day, and then I tried to finish it right before we recorded. So my attention wasn't really there. And didn't you I, initially start it at eight o'clock on Sunday night, and then you were like, "Nah," because you said yeah, in the episode oh, yeah. you started watching it really late, and you were like, and then they were talking a lot, and I didn't get it, and I couldn't like concentrate on it. Yeah, so I started it late, but then I tried then actually like watching it again like the next day, mm-hmm. and it didn't really resonate. And the funny thing is, so I was watching it, and I was more so thinking about 
what sort of disconnect is without actually like appreciating what I was watching. Yeah. And like, and so everything, so obviously when I edit the episodes, I listen back to like everything we talk about. And it was kind of one of those things to where when you're explaining the movie, like I was agreeing with everything you're saying, like there wasn't anything that I thought you said that was like out of place or like a mischaracterization or a misreading or anything. And so the conversation, I was really thinking about, you know, what the real disconnect is. And then that night of the recording, I recorded the end piece as far as why don't I necessarily like fantasy movies or in my adulthood, why don't I like fantasy movies? When I was a kid, I watched them. Like I watched like Never Any Story and like, Mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of fantasy shit. Not a bunch, but enough for a kid. And I was thinking about, what we're kind of talking about and then it kind of hit me as far as the idea of i would say for a lot of fantasy films that i've seen it's mostly just always kind of about good versus evil but good never never wavers and evil never necessarily wavers but when i was listening back to the the episode and your passion for the movie and the idea that it doesn't necessarily up to a point it doesn't necessarily matter if evil is evil and good is good that's okay but if you have other things around it to build like a richer story beyond just that then that should be what is appreciated and when i kind of resonated with the conversation and then i look back at two towers and i kind of took that mindset of like okay you know frodo sam you know they're good okay but let's look at everything else in the movie and i really enjoyed it and i really found myself like okay one of the parts that like fucked me up was like uh i forget the dude's name but the super emo dude that's like pale and like black hair worm tongue yeah and so like visually it's like he's he's not a good guy guys you can just kill him and go and go about your business or whatever but i was like okay that's like one thing but like everything else isn't necessarily like that stark or whatever. I think one of the things that this movie does really well is the people who are evil are really righteous about it. Like they really believe that they are doing the right thing. And even though it is like cut and dry, like we all know it's evil. Like, I bet you could talk to, to Grima Wormtongue for a thousand years and he would (laughs) never admit that he did it anything wrong. Not because he can't take accountability, but because he so fervently believes in what he's doing. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit more interesting than just, oh, they're evil. Yeah. And one of the other things that kind of stood up with the conversation when your point was like, maybe Game of Thrones is more, in some people's perspective, more realistic for how humans kind of interact. But at the same time, I don't necessarily give a shit about political power. So like, for me, like, I think, And also for you as well, I think that being on the side of kind of right and righteousness, you know, even if there's some things that like aren't necessarily like all the way there, I think for the most part, we are good. And so I think I think in this story as well, especially for Frodo, and it really kind of hit me as well, especially watching uh, Return of the King, is that inherently Frodo is good and inherently Sam is good, but Sam is continually judging and questioning Smeagol uh, yeah and inherently Frodo understands that he wants to complete the mission but at the end 
he still succumbs to the his 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 covering of the ring and it's like i think for me i understand those choices and i understand those characters and i'm really glad that i stuck with it i'm really and more so me sticking with i'm really glad that i talked to you about it because i think you really did help me kind of navigate that hurdle because i haven't watched the first one yet since then but um, i rewatched two towers and i watched Eternity King, and I was. Did you do I the extended for both? You will be very proud to hear, Cat. I Yay! did the extendeds. There were definitely I some breaks. Of, oh, of course, there them. has to be. And when I showed up to Greg for the first time, we took breaks. You have to take breaks. You know, if nothing else, it's just a lot of movie. But yeah, I mean, I think the Return of the King, the Return of the King, is the longest movie in the series, even without the extended edition. And I think some people struggle with with if the extended edition is worth it or not and i think it is there are so many more moments and little character things that you see and like everything just lands more when there's more setup yeah so like when there's a lot of moments of like where you see like sam and frodo they know everything about each other by the end of this and that makes it so much more heartbreaking when frodo leaves yeah because part of the reason that Sam was so excited to get home was for them to to have that shared memory and that, you know, he thought that he wouldn't have the problem that Bilbo had where Bilbo had to leave if they could go through it together. I think that stuff all lands a little bit more when there's more of that getting there set up. And I think I said on this a long time ago, but I'm definitely a completionist. So even though I, I know that Empire Strikes Back is the best of the trilogies. Mm-hmm. My favorite for a long time was Return of the Jedi. And I can see how people would say that Two Towers is better than Return of the King. But for me, like, I was completely in. Like, I was completely riveted. I, and... I fuck with Return of the King super hard. I think it's my favorite. <laughs> like, oh, man. And I think the whole thing is actually really good. Like, and obviously it's four and a half hours. Well, actually, it's it's more like three hours, 40 minutes. The credits are like fucking 30 minutes long. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I think that when you go through the movies and in the end, when they're all at the bar and like everyone's around them is like, you know, drinking. They've lived their lives like the whole like year. And then they're just back and they're like. How do you pick up the threads of an old life? How do you go on when in your heart you begin to understand there is no going back. There are some things that time cannot mend, some hurts that go too deep, that have taken hold. We can't go back to what it was. We can only go forward. And I think, you know, Frodo carrying that burden with him, that really resonated with me because I feel like a lot of people, when they go through kind of traumatic events, it's a, it's like one of those things to where I, I want to go back to who I was, but it's like, you're not going to be that same person. Like, nope. there's no way you could be that person. And like the lens of what you see in life, like it will be forever like reshaped, but it's really about where do you go from now? Like, and, oh my God, my favorite moment was, Yo, I I was so happy when this happened. My boy Sam, he leveling up. Like he's <laughs> he 
had so much swag. He had so much swag. I was so happy for that man. Uh, He's got big cancer energy. Oh, he totally does. He is. Oh, man. So does Frodo, though. Frodo's got that, like, really, like, dark, moody cancer energy. And Sam has just got the big empath energy. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But now that you've seen both extended editions, remember how I was like, Jesus Christ, everything that happens with Faramir is so much more tragic when you know what he's already been through? Uh, yeah. Yeah. In the non-extended editions, like, at the end of Two Towers, you're like, man, that's a good guy. I don't know anything about him, but he seems like a good dude. And then his dad, like, sends him off to die, and you're like, ah, damn, that sucks, because he seemed like a good dude. But, like, yeah, in the extended editions, it's like, but he's a good man. (laughs) Okay. I was going to say, his dad is like the worst version of a white man like ever like so he's so sad he has to punish everyone else around him okay like jesus christ i think a lot of who he is and and what he is is he is weaponizing his own pain for political gain yeah yeah you know he is using that as like tactical humanizing and i think that is something other political people have maybe done um (laughs) you know but he knows that there are already rumors that aragorn is coming back he has to if nothing else become so pitied that people won't want to get rid of him yeah you can be the mad king but you are still king and i think the extended editions really take the time to fill in those little details that they just don't have time to fill in in the original I guess one of the questions I had watching this was, from your knowledge, when the movie came out and then they put out the extended version of the DVD, mm-hmm. when they put out the second movie, were people just waiting for the extended version of Two of Towers? My understanding is that they did all of the extended editions as a group after the fact. Oh, okay. Now um, that would make a bit more sense. That would make more sense. Like once, so, because the other thing about these movies is that they were kind of expected to flop. Oh, okay. I have a, a hard time talking about this because one of Hollywood's greatest villains is involved in this pretty aggressively. Uh, yeah, I, I saw the name in the credits. Yeah. But... Um, he He's all over it because yeah. he took Jackson to Disney and said, guys, I think we're on to something here. And Michael Eisner yeah. said, no, absolutely not. Get out of here. Yeah. And so Weinstein said, all right, cool. Here's my checkbook. This is your budget. You cannot go over this. This is exactly what I'll give you. You can film all of them in one go like you want to. But if the first one does badly, I'm canning the whole project. Okay. Even though by the time the first one comes out, you will be well into production on the second one, like post-production. So Peter Jackson flew down to New Zealand for a year and made Fellowship. And then Fellowship exploded in a way that I don't think... I think people expected it to make good money, but like Return of the King was nominated for, I think, nine Oscars. Shit. It won Best Picture, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Which honestly, well-deserved. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 11 Oscars. Oh, damn. I think in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of studio heads had a hard time separating action adventure from like specifically Michael Bay. (laughs) yeah so they were like okay we this isn't gonna work though but it it did 
And it's like still kind of an insane cultural phenomenon. And like, there's going to be a TV show later this year. And people, Tolkien people care, like probably too much, like an upsetting (laughs) amount. And it all takes place like 2000 years before the Lord of the Rings, which is roughly the timeline of the first war. And so like Galadriel is in it because she's like an ageless being. But people are upset because there are like women and folks of color and like whatever. And they care so much. And like in their imagination, that has never been what people are. Yeah. But also like a bunch of people, like I think I talked before about how like utopian fantasy is good, actually, and everybody should probably shut up. There are just as many people excited to actually see Tolkien's vision realized because there are dwarves that are described as darker skin toned and there are elves that are described as darker skin tones that just aren't in these movies. Yeah. Tolkien nerds care so much. People mm. still get tattoos and elvish and dwarvish and and like wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm I've been seriously considering getting one for a while. All it's right. but also like just to break it down, one of the things that I really love about these movies is that like it breaks down not only that there's no right way to be a woman, but also that there's no right way to be a man. Yeah. And I feel like that's really uncommon. Like, even Aragorn cries. The thing that I think makes Aragorn the most attractive to people, not just to, like, romantically, but is, like, he is tough, he is smart, like, he's very well-rounded as a character, and that yeah. makes him land really strongly. So by the, by the time he finally turns around and says, okay, I, I have to be king... You're like, you're goddamn right, you do. <laughs> and I, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I think there, you know, some, a little, you know, between the friendship, uh, between the hobbits, you know, some can read, if they squint hard enough, a little homoeroticism in there. But um, I would say, though, for the idea of friends who actually love each other and that love is actually channeled in productive ways, even though they have conflict, there's multiple times they have conflict between the movies, but I really did appreciate the fact that you did have men on screen, even though they're hobbits, you still had these men characters who, and not even them too also, but, um, but you know, Link, the elf, I forget his name, <laughs> and Aragorn, and, and the, uh, I don't, I don't want to call him the, uh, the dwarf, but, but they're like, you know, try out a friendship. I appreciated it all. And I think there are real good examples of love. I think that one thing I want to push back on a little bit is like tender male friendship is not inherently homoerotic. Oh yeah. yeah. And I, I think one could read that into it, but also like, I think advocating for tender male friendships and loving male friendships is really important. Oh, it 100% like, is. Especially among other men, because like how many women have been men's just emotional ashtrays and dumping grounds for the the feelings they don't want. So then they can go be friends with their cool friends or go be emotionally available for their girlfriends or whatever. This is an example of, again, utopian fantasy, a self-sustaining male ecosystem of, of a full spectrum of emotionality. Yeah. But again, what you said as far as like the Michael Bay action early 2000s, 
Like it, it's coming out of that era. So it's it's very rare. So very rare. my favorite implication, I read a 900 page book about the history of the Walt Disney Company. Um, and a lot of it talks about their work with Jerry Bruckheimer. And my favorite thing in that book is that it very heavily implies, but never outright says that Michael Bay can't read. Oh, shit. <laughs> God damn. And I think about that a lot. I mean, hold on. Can't or chooses not to. Can't. Oh, doggy. This man has made billions of dollars. It's not good. <laughs> so my, but they said in the thing, they were like several of his assistants admitted to like briefing him on the screenplay before meetings. Oh, whoa. and like w- they would like read action set pieces aloud to him. And I think a lot of people like wrote that off as like, oh, he's like an artist. Like he needs to hear it and then he can kind of visualize whatever. Right. But like, yeah, I just like that this very well-researched book was like, and perhaps he can't read. That is a footnote for your ass, boy. That is a footnote for your ass. Live from an undisclosed location in a basement in New York City, it's me, Crank, ruler, well, mayor of Dimension X and the producer of the hottest new pod, in that dimension or this one, the Shredhead Pod, starring the Blasian Betty, aka Google Chrome Dome, aka Ado Nobu Nigga, aka my best friend, Oroku Saki, aka The Shredder. And we put aside our differences with the Ninja Turtles to be your weekly source of hot takes, sports, and entertainment news. Stay all the way and hear who Saki is named as his Cretan of the Week, and find something valuable in the Shred Commendations. So we'll see you on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever your pods are casts. The Shredhead Pod is a member of the Hyphen Podcast Group. So, from Return of King, what is your favorite moment from this movie? There are two. I know that's a, a bullshit answer, but first to me is uh, the the I am no man moment, <laughs> A-O-N, okay. coupled with in the extended edition, they give a lot more time to her saying goodbye to Theoden. Yeah, I um, think that was cut out. Yeah, it's not entirely cut out, but I think it's a bit shorter. Okay. The contrast of the triumph of finally proving herself. And the grief of that immediate aftermath, I think, is really strong. And I think it's a beautiful performance that she gives. Yeah, definitely. And also, like, it's a moment that feels very, like, authentic girl power, which, like, Marvel, (laughs) for example, has really struggled with, like, authentic girl power. Yeah, outside of Black Panther, I I would definitely agree, yes. And then the other one that that always comes to mind is uh, the whole of kind of... Well, not all of, but from when Arwen is reintroduced at Aragorn's coronation and she's hiding behind the little banner all the way through, uh, my friends, you bow for no one. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it adds so much to, to what they've been through for them to actually be legitimately like respected and revered in this like kind of insane by their standards, like cosmopolitan metropolis right yeah and yet they still all choose to go home and i think that there's something really powerful about that that said i have one pet peeve and it's gonna bother me for the rest of my life 
I hate that Arwen's dress is not pure white in that scene. It's tinted green. It should be tinted blue or silver to go with the Gondor colors. I don't understand why it's green. (laughs) It stands out. It looks terrible. And the worst part is, it'd be one thing if it was like, damn, Liv Tyler looks amazing in green. But it washes her out. Uh, It's on the pale side. I can definitely say that. It's not even doing her any favors. Like, if that was the dress that made everybody go, wow. (laughs) Then I would kind of understand, right? Like, you kind of have to go with it at that point. But it isn't. So I think one of of the criticisms of Return of the King is that it has, like, four different endings, basically. But for me, though... You spend so, so much time with these characters that I think on one hand you could argue that that, that moment that you're talking about as far as like you got you about you bound down a no man mm-hmm. and then like that could be like the ending. But I think you need to see them back in the Shire. Like I think you need to see them at least kind of digest somewhat of what they've gone through. There's no way to land this plane without Frodo leaving the Shire again. Yeah. Like I don't think it would ever feel complete. So, yes, it has multiple endings, and that's kind of become a meme. But also, like, there are nine goddamn main characters of this boondoggle. (laughs) Yeah. So the fact that they were able to shave it back to, like, four endings, (laughs) it says a lot. Yeah. Also, I I do really like that Eowyn and Faramir find each other. Oh, yeah. That, That always made me happy, even as a little kid. But, like, more so as an adult, because they both want to be taken seriously as who they are. Yeah. And, like, he is a softer man and she is a stronger woman. But they both, like, that's what they appreciate about each other. Like, he's not afraid of her like a lot of the men in her country are. And she doesn't think he's soft because he's sensitive like most of the men in his country do. But even then, I, I do think that one of the things this movie does really well is he it really subverts that because all of his men are fully prepared to follow him to death. Yeah. yeah when he definitely. like suggests doing a thing that is like treason, everyone is like, we will go with you. So the only person <laughs> that sees him as at all weak or soft is his father and by extension him. Yeah. But she doesn't see him that way. She likes that about him. It felt like that's where it was supposed to end up. I like yeah. the way where it landed. Yeah, I'm happy that they got together, and I I am happy that Aragorn he uh you know he he didn't have himself a little old slip there. He he kept it wholesome, you know, for the very most part. So I think even if she had gone to the Undying Lands, I think he would have stayed true to her for the rest of his life mm. because that is the kind of love that they have. Yeah. Like, one thing that that I noticed on my most recent rewatch that I don't think I ever picked up on is when Legolas gives him the even star back. Yeah. um, He, like, stands up a little straighter. Like, Mm. just having that near his heart is, like, enough to kind of help. And I think that it is, like, that kind of, like, love. Like, probably capital L, love. And obviously she is having that as well. Uh, I think I spoke uh, last time about how uh, there's that scene where they're going to the Undying Lands and she sees their children and the further she gets from Rivendell, the the less she can see them. Yeah, yeah. I think about that scene a lot. (laughs) I, in a very sophomoric way, 
I saw the scene and I was like, she definitely has told this man to leave it in. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's because they're like in love, not because like it's yeah. gross. This is not like a weird like Game of Thrones bullshit. Like I'm going to stand <laughs> on my balcony drinking wine because I'm pregnant for two seasons like thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, this is very real and I value that a great deal. Yeah, I think for a lot of especially like action type movies or whatever, which I mean this has a a monumental great deal of action which all photographed very greatly in it holds up even to this day. Everything is done extraordinarily well. And I think you had the idea of like the cheap romance or whatever and I I kind of thought maybe it would kind of happen that way, but I think that we already kind of talked about like the friendship, love, and the bonds they have, but for the for the other characters. But I think for their actual like relationship, I feel like that's like the definition of like what romance like should be, like this sort of in the face of these like great odds and distance and you know these kind of forces that are just kind of like through everyday life, to where if you know you have someone that you have that bond with that. That bond is, you know, unyielding in a lot of ways, but it's done in like in a healthy way, not in a like really negative, toxic kind of fulfilling way. But it's actually like their love kind of drives like who they are and like they're and like I feel like in a lot of ways, like even kept him alive and like kept him fighting in some ways. So I thought their relationship was like immaculately written and acted. So And, And also like the the even star their love is the other one's like guiding star like that that is the thing that was always yeah. gonna bring them together and that is yeah no it's it's good um and i also think like in a world where she went to the undying lands and they could never be together i do wonder would he have considered aon but in a like they would have had a very good solid marriage of convenience I was about they, to say they settling friends and they probably would have gotten along very well and probably could have raised children well together, but it was not love and it would never be love. Yeah. We have the same thoughts. I, like if they got together, it's like, well, I mean, I'm here, you know, you're here, you know, we got swords, whatever. I'm, right. I'm the king. I'm expected to produce an heir. You yeah. are from our, our like kingdom that we used to be friends with probably makes sense if we're friends again. Yeah, you know, uh, I think uh, now I don't think he would ever disrespect her, but I think one of the terms that you kind of had uh, in the past was uh, uh, was like, like come astray. That's basically what yeah. it would have been. <laughs> I mean, I think they probably would have been friends. Like, I think that yeah. could have been I think they probably if I had to guess if I were a betting woman, Aragorn and Aon continue to be friends for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Like that that's oh, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuz they they clearly care for and respect each other a great deal. And he yeah. is realistically the first person that has ever respected her as a woman and a warrior in her entire life. Yeah. It's easy to fall in love with that and then, you know, this Vito Morton, you know, look at his cheekbones, I mean. I mean, the yeah. Jaw, the jawline, but I think you know? I think Arwen has lived thousands of years before Aragorn even existed. Yeah. And that is her true love and aon her feelings for him are first love feelings and they just don't last as long and they're not they're not as like 
I won't say not as important, but like throughout the course no. of the movie, she grows and she realizes that she doesn't need that. Yeah, it's like one of those like one of those crushes to where it's like you have a crush on them. Like they're a good person, but you you mainly have a crush on them because they notice you. Like mm-hmm. oh oh you oh you notice me okay all right, but it's it's definitely not like reciprocated in that kind of way. And yeah. I I definitely agree that they have like a good friendship and a respect for each other. That that would be a great friendship and like even you know like a great like comrade for like even battle or whatever. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, you know it it kind of kind of is what it is. But and um, and one of the things that I, I keep coming back to with these movies is, like, Eowyn is badass pretty much the whole time. Arwen is badass in her first scene and then really isn't much again. And both of that, those uh, perspectives on womanhood are totally cool. <laughs> Neither of them are punished for that. Nobody yes. gets in trouble. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. I would say, like I said, I think my first watch... And this is actually the first rewatch. I'm sorry. This is the first movie that I have not rewatched that I immediately liked. So I am expecting uh, whenever I watch the original again, I'm expecting to like that even more. But from your perspective, I know we kind of talked about, you know, the just at the end and and the coronation scene that could definitely been handled a different way. Um, But I think for me, the extended version, because it is really rich and detailed I don't necessarily think that there's anything that they need to change with it. Uh, but, you know, from your perspective, you know, growing up with these movies like all these years, is there anything from the extended for the last movie that you will want to rectify or change? Or or even stuff that you would want to have seen but did not make the movie? Again, this sounds like a total asshole thing to say, but, like, that dress has bothered me my entire life. <laughs> um, literally my entire life. The only other thing I think that I would probably change, and I think the extended edition does a good job with this, but I would like a a little bit of a longer moment of Frodo realizing he has to leave. Whether that's through reading, whether that's through we see him reading Bilbo's manuscript, which ends, you know, with him deciding to leave. Yeah. Or whatever. I want to I want to see that decision. Mostly just because I really want to watch Elijah Wood act that moment. Like, I think that that would be a really game-changing, like, performance moment. Not to imply that he hasn't already run the full, like, gamut of emotions in these movies. Because he, I think, and Viggo Mortensen and Sam, and honestly, like, Gandalf, I think get the most emotional range in these movies. Yeah, I would say that. But, like, I really want that moment of, like... Oh, okay, so I'm not alone in feeling this way. Oh, so I'm not alone in feeling this way. Yeah. This is what I have to do. That's the only thing I can really think of that I would change or or do differently or add. It is really hard to say this about a four and a half hour movie, but I do think the end was a little bit rushed. But I feel like, you know, I feel like they probably, of the tons of like film that they actually got, I feel like... I think they filmed like the the coronation scene, and then they're like, "Well, let's do something. Let's 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 keep it going. Let's keep the let's keep the mojo going or whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I I feel like that ends the the ending was probably maybe like reshoots potentially, but I do think I agree that I think Elijah Wood getting getting you know that 
maybe just one scene where it's like two to three minutes long, I think that would have made it a little bit more palatable because the end it's like it does I think it it can feel like a little bit of a kind of tonal shift to where it's like well not a tonal shift but it can feel a little strange that he just now going and then no they don't know so they're like getting shocked like at the same moment the viewers getting shocked with it so I think if they had a little bit more maybe like tilt like showing the hand a little bit maybe that could have eased people into a little bit more but at at the same time a fairly popular tolkien line is the road goes ever on and on and like we don't know how long it's been like sam has kids now it's probably been a minute you know yeah but one thing that i like that i do think is expanded on from the original return of the king is that they kind of subvert the ending and like sam we see sam go home after that yeah and it really makes you wonder if sam was the main character the whole time and i think that that does such a beautiful job of weighting their contributions to getting the ring to Mordor equally. Oh yeah, definitely. By giving that ending little vignette that to me says like, they are both the mic drop moment and like they both deserve that. And I really love that. I think it's really valuable. I would agree with that theory. The ring does not get destroyed without Sam like flat out, like, and you, you can't even make the argument the other way for it, man. But like, I don't think it could have gotten destroyed by just Sam either. I think it would have broke him in 30 seconds. Very and, much know. so as well. Yes. Yeah. You need the balance of that, especially for that relationship to where I think Frodo is, he's like really determined, but he doesn't really have like the kind of emotional support just to do it on his own. It'll be spring soon. The orchards will be in blossom, and the birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket. And they'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields, and eating the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of strawberries? Sam, I can't recall the taste of food. Sound of water, uh, touch of grass, <laughs> naked in the dark. There's, there's nothing, no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I can see him with my waking eyes. Then let us be rid of it once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you. But I can carry you. Come on! Mm-hmm. Where you have Sam talking to him about fighting for good for the sake of goodness. Mm-hmm. And even though he, he did go a little bit hard body with um with uh, Schmeagel. Um, yeah, but, but the the thing about Schmeagel is that Schmeagel is I know I said in the last episode that that Schmeagel and Sam are presented as opposites, right? But really, yeah. what Schmeagel is is Frodo. Yes. Like yes. they're they're presented as kind of the two forces pulling on his arms. 
you know, or the angel and the devil on his shoulder. But Schmeagel, one goal, much like Frodo's one goal, is to keep the ring. Yeah. Now, Frodo's goal is to keep it, to destroy it. But Schmeagel's goal is to keep it, to keep it. And Gollum is the voice of the ring. He could not make the ring from scratch, so Storbot was fine. So he got Gollum. <laughs> like, straight up, that's what it is, though. And, like, his own personal version of the ring is what is making him do the bad stuff. Okay. And Sam sees that right away. And the big mistake that Schmeagel makes is he thinks that, you know, because Sam is, is fat, basically, that he is weak and that mm. he can be disposed of. Mm. You don't doubt the thick boys. Not in this house. Not on my watch. And and that's why that skinny twink winds up getting thrown into a fucking volcano. There you go. There it is. I will say, you know, the funny thing is, I immediately knew I was all in with, with uh, Return of the King. Because the first second, of the, the first shot of the movie, I immediately said, that fucking, is that him? So the, the reveal for that was, like, really clever. I'll definitely give him that. Mm-hmm. You know the funny thing is, so this movie is almost 20 years old, and in one conversation with my good friend Kit Kat I saw the vision. Sometimes you can't see it, man. And the funny thing is, I talked about this movie, well, not in depth, but at least in passing with folks, like, since, like, fucking, like, the mid-2000s, and none of them, I feel like people loved it, but I feel like... A lot of people didn't really explain it with a lot of care. And so I appreciate you for doing that, Kat. I really do. This is a really enjoyable experience watching this movie. I'm so glad. And one thing I do want to just like touch on before I think we get out, we get out of here is like, this is something that I've talked about other people that we have podcasted with in the past about this idea that men especially have to, when there's, something about other men whether it's a movie or a wrestling persona or whatever it is like they have to come up with a reason to like it that isn't just like it's sweet or like it's good <laughs> or like anything that might yeah. make them look soft or feel soft yeah um and i think that's why a lot of people struggle to talk about the lord of the rings movies because as that. as like tenderness has become increasingly like stigmatized and a sign of weakness the, the answer becomes oh well there are like swords and stuff but, like, that's not what it's for. That's what Game of Thrones is for. Game of Thrones is there to make you feel like you're more of a man. <laughs> Whereas, like, Lord of the Rings is there to make you, like, ponder, like, what is good about manhood. Ah. Like we said, Frodo couldn't have made it without Sam. Yeah. Like, that tenderness that Frodo also has, by the way. Like, tenderness and care is the thing that literally defeats the evil. It's not even good. Yeah. Um. Tenderness, oh, tenderness. And like, you know, you don't have to be like, oh, well, like Aragorn's my favorite because he's good with a sword. Like, it's okay. He's handsome. He's nice. He'd probably be good to give you a little smooch. <laughs> like, it's fine, dudes. Like, yeah, this is how I feel about like when everyone was like, oh, well, RFK is Jesus. And I'm like, that's a weird way to say he gives me a tingly feeling in the downstairs. You Hilarious. have to when people are like oh my favorite wrestler right now is hook and i'm like why and they're like he's a good fighter and i'm like perchance does it have to do with the fact that he's handsome hilarious when like, you see him when you see him do your pants get a little 
tighter, a little smaller. Yeah, like, and, and like, men, it's okay to just, like, like stuff. <laughs> they don't, it, it, like, it doesn't have to be violent stuff. You know, I know The Lord of the Rings has a lot of violence in it, but, like, if you were, like, my favorite is that, like, Arwen and Aragorn are fighting their own battles to get back to each other for the duration of the movie. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, yeah, that is good. I like that, too. Like, <laughs> and if anybody makes you feel bad about that, remove them from your fucking fellowship. There it is. There it is. And the funny thing is, so my, my favorite character is, is definitely Sam. I absolutely love Sam. He is the cancer sad boy that I am, if I were happen to be a hobbit, so... And white, but that's the thing there. And I, I do love that it wasn't real until you saw the letterbox review. Just that's still my favorite. <laughs> it wasn't real until you saw the letterbox. Did you see what I did? You see what I gave Return of the King? I did. My my monster review of Return of the King. One word, bitchin'. Follow Cat at Cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Show and Mad Love on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Cat and Mark. Be sure to read us at catseasmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob.wordpress.com. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is, this is, this is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained? Hey, hey, filmmakers, directors, uh, whatever. Just remember that, like, it's okay to have utopian elements to your fantasy. In fact, I, I might argue like those are much more desirable than not. If I if I can be a princess, I'd also like to believe if I can be a magical fairy princess, I would also like to believe that people would respect my autonomy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> definitely. Yes, definitely.